0: Thank you for joining us on More Than That, a podcast where we dive a little bit deeper into what was preached on Sunday morning. We hope that this is enriching to your walk with Christ and that you love God and people that much more so that we can extend the glory of God to the people he has placed in our lives. So, we'd buckle up and enjoy the conversation. Hey, City Church. Welcome back to more than that. This past week um, was a kind of cool, cool sermon uh, because it was Joe's first sermon as, um, or after he was installed as an elder. So that was kind of mm-hmm. cool, um, and I'm sure one that's going to be um, special in in his life as 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 a big step in in um, church ministry. So, um, as you called yourself, Joe, pastor. <laughs> one of you called yourself one of the pastors, yep. um, which I thought was cool. Um, I like Pastor Joe just kind of like flows really well. <laughs> so <laughs> Pastor Joe, um, who is sitting right across from me, um, if you had an extra 10 minutes or so to um, push something a little bit harder or introduce a new avenue for the sermon that you probably had just had to cut due to time, or it just mm-hmm. didn't like it didn't necessarily help with the main point of your sermon. Um, What would that have been? Uh,
1: Very easily, I think there were some scripture references Mm -hmm. that I cut from the sermon for the sake of time that uh, I would uh, take this opportunity to read in their full length. Um, I, I cut the references down during my sermon just because even though our church does have uh, a somewhat Reformed-leaning in its theology, most of our congregation don't really have Presbyterian backgrounds or anything of the like, so they're not yeah. really used to having, you know, long passages of Scripture read in the course <laughs> of the service, even though uh, I have a feeling that, that most of our congregants would probably say they hear more Scripture here than they have in a lot of other churches. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, but in any case, yeah... Um, Originally, I had intended to um, read more of Isaiah 65 uh, and also Revelation, pretty much all of ch- almost all of chapter 21 and into the start of chapter 22, just because they're exciting, mm-hmm. because of the way that they describe, again, the new heavens and the new earth and the restoration of Jerusalem and really talking about. The, the ultimate fulfillment of that restoration is the new Jerusalem. So the church and, and the, the full manifestation of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So Isaiah chapter 65, starting in verse 17, says, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. In her, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days, or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the one who dies at a hundred years old will be mourned as a young man, and the one who misses a hundred years will be considered cursed. People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others live in them. They will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree. My chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or bear children destined for disaster, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer, While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle, but the serpent's food will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. So that's Isaiah 65. And again, of course, that is um, prior to uh, the exile, and, and these are promises that the Israelites would have would have known of, they would have Mm -hmm. been keeping in their hearts um, during the exile.
0: Now, this was Babylonian exile? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes, and the destruction of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Because with the Assyrian exile, that was just for the northern kingdom. So, the ten northern tribes, um, they were deported. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I know that there's a couple different exiles mentioned within the within the canon, so I just want to make sure mm-hmm. that we got
1: our bearings straight. Uh, and then this is <clears throat> Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. And again, um, right at the start of the chapter here, there are, there's some language that uh, is similar to Isaiah. So uh, the Apostle John here, he's drawing from the book of Isaiah as he's communicating what he saw. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's very similar to Isaiah. And the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them. They will be His peoples, and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. That also sounds very much like Isaiah. Then Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the the seven last plagues, came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He then carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. So those two verses there are where we see that that uh, the bride of the Lamb and the, the, the new Jerusalem are one and the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with twelve gates. Twelve angels were at the gates. The names of the twelve tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The city wall had twelve foundations and the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, were on the foundations And then you have uh, in the rest of the chapter um, talking about measuring the city and so <clears throat> um, uh, measuring it and it's in the shape of a cube which is significant because if since it's in the, that cube shape that calls to mind the geometry of the Holy of Holies. Mm, so okay. it's significant in that what this means is is um, the church or God's people, all God's people, having that unveiled, unhindered, intimate relationship and enjoying the presence of God at its most intense. Uh, verse twenty-two, and toward the end of the chapter. It says, I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, nothing unclean. Will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then the first part of chapter 22 says Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And the mention there of the river and trees on either side, also has similarities to certain things that Ezekiel describes. Okay. So there are echoes here of Old Testament prophecies Mm -hmm. that we are still waiting on the full fulfillment of. Um, Again, if I had had the time, I might have dared to actually read these references out in full just because Mm -hmm. of how glorious and how exciting it is to imagine some of these things, even though, um, like particularly in the book of Revelation, clearly... There's a lot of symbolism here, um, and perhaps even in Isaiah as well. Uh, just personally, I I I don't know how much of that is strictly figurative, and how much not. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, clearly, you know, uh, if we think of like we know the New Jerusalem. Um, I don't think it's a literal physical city. Uh, you know, for instance, if you have a city that's, that's super vast and it's, it's the same length and width and height, you know, why is a wall really going to make a
0: difference? But yeah, that's. Especially if it's the only one in existence. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But the, the funny part is, um, as you're describing it, the only thing that I could picture was the Borg Cube. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Are, yeah, something, I guess something sort of like the Borg Cube,
0: but good. Yes, and not transhuman. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I think that that's a really, really, just with what you said with figurative and literal, like, you're not really sure what's what. And I think that's a really good, um, really good thing to draw out, mm-hmm. um, especially regarding Revelation um, there's a lot of textual and and um, literary things that we just have to be mindful whenever we're reading oh, yeah. something like apocalyptic literature
1: well when you come to the book of Revelation like in most of the Bible you you kind of want to um, you want to err on the side of literal in the sense that you or let me put that a different way <laughs> with just about every other book in the Bible you want your basic approach to be um to to understand the text more or less literally, unless you see indications that it should be figurative. Mm. But right at the start of the book of Revelation, John says that all of these things were commuted were communicated to him in signs. So you kind of want to reverse it with the book of Revelation and you 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 have your basic approach to revelation as all of this was communicated in signs and so is more or less figurative mm-hmm. unless the context calls for a more literal interpretation. Yeah. So by
0: literal in the, in this context you're not saying like hey this is directly translatable it is like hey just what the words mean here is what they mean it's not like um you're having a metaphor in, in there, you're not using figurative language to describe something. You're using plain definitions to describe something.
1: Right. Uh, yeah. Literal can be kind of a tricky def- uh, tricky word to mm-hmm. define and to work with. I think one of the best one of the best explanations I've encountered is, um, the writers of um, a a favorite hermeneutics book of mine. It's called Let the Reader Understand. And I believe their names were Clayton and McLaren. Okay. Um, I could be butchering those a little bit, but let the reader understand. I know is the title of the book, but uh, they <laughs> they talked about uh, different aspects of language and of a particular word. It will have the sense or mm-hmm. kind of the basic meaning of the word, and then the referent or the 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 thing that the sense refers to. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you have the meaning of the word in itself, and then you have the the thing or the object about which you are affirming that particular meaning. Okay. okay. And so a, a word that is being used in a literal sense is a word in which the sense and the referent are uh, pretty intuitive. They're pretty obvious. They're what you mm-hmm. expect figurative language is when you're taking the sense of the word and you're applying it to a referent that is not as obvious and not really what you would expect Mm -hmm. yeah okay which i think is just in general
0: super helpful um Mm -hmm. because as we're reading an ancient text these are the type of things we have to keep in mind right um especially like i said with revelation with Isaiah and all of the prophecies and, or the prophets major and minor, um, Mm -hmm. and also, but also parables. Um, yes, they have a literal, um, they might be literally referring to historical people, but at the same time being used in a figurative type of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so we just need to be mindful of, of that whenever we're doing, you know, good and proper hermeneutics. Um, so that was, that was a, a good thing so and maybe you could help me understand a little bit of the the revelation thing Um, total kind of sidebar um, but the second death in in that because I have some friends Mm -hmm. um, online that are annihilationists and Ah. um, that to me rings very much of an annihilationist perspective on the eternity of the damned Um, so for those of you that are listening, listening that don't know what annihilation is, is that after the final judgment at the resurrection, um, the, those who are part of the family of God go to be with God and the, those who are not are, their souls are annihilated. They basically no longer exist, um, and I know that there's many nuances to the position, and i i'm just I just want to give like an overview, thirty thousand foot view of the position. Mm-hmm. Um, so what whenever you were looking at revelation twenty one, um what were you what did you find out? Did you read anything about that second death? Um, i'm i I'm curious generally, or genuinely.
1: Well, it's not really mentioned in revelation twenty one. Uh, the reference to the second death occurs in revelation twenty oh okay um so that is um at the start of chapter 20 you have satan being bound um and then the the saints reigning with christ um and then um uh, and then you have the the end of the thousand years the thousand years completed mm-hmm. and satan being released um to have a, kind of a last hurrah um And then finally, at the end of the chapter, uh, verses 11 to 15, I saw the great white throne and one seated on it. So you have great white throne judgment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So that's what it says. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I suppose that uh, your annihilationist friends when they read second death and lake of fire um, in, at least in this particular chapter, in this text on its own, since nothing else is really said of these, um, of these beings that are cast into the lake of fire, they're just, they're basically just finding room here Mm -hmm. to kind of insert the conclusion that, well, then they, they just cease to exist.
0: Yeah. And, I'm not. It's not a particular topic that I'm interested in. Oh, mm-hmm. like overly. Like I have a general idea, um, right. but I wasn't sure. Just as you were prepping, if you if that was something that you kind of ran across as to what, um, what the second death actually was referring to. Um, if you didn't, it's okay. I was just curious. Um,
1: for my my own sake. Um, mm-hmm. but go ahead. Well, I mean, in in the text, just. Reading it at face value, clearly the, the second death, um, it refers to the lake of fire, and that's what it says, and this is, this is a a final judgment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is, it, it is the final judgment, because it says that, that death and Hades and all the people whose names are not written in the book of life will be, th- will be cast into the lake of fire. So... Uh, whenever we talk of the final judgment, whenever we talk of um, eternal torment um, as as the judgment for sin and for impenitence, uh, that's, that's the second death. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Um, so one of the things that you had brought up towards the end, and this is like just a big application of everything that you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you made my ears perk up quite a bit um any t- time that i hear the word defend in a sermon as an apologist my like my spidey senses tingle yeah. um quite uh quite intensely um so you talked about that could you kind of rehash that a little bit to kind of let that sink in um because i mean 1 peter 3:15 the apologetics mantra mm-hmm. um is is addressed to all christians Yes um so could you kind of again recap what you were saying there towards the end of the sermon as uh, um, what we really should be doing whenever we are defending our faith and being able to talk with people
1: right um, so toward the end of my sermon when I was when I was drawing an application um, when when I was looking at uh, some of the, the sort of overview material that Raph had, had supplied to the elders about the, ser- the, the series on Nehemiah, mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of the, the basic direction, the, the theme of rebuilding was, was at the forefront. And so I just have a very analytical mind. Um, <clears throat> you and I both. My, my late uncle, uh, when I asked him, just out of curiosity— at one time, I asked him just his general assessment of me, and he thought for a moment, and then he looked at me and said, you are analytical almost to a fault, and that was very fair, but anyway, um, when I saw this rebuilding, uh, my my first thought was, rebuilding what? <laughs> <laughs> like, rebuild it, that, okay. That's fair. That's fair. Great. What are we building? Um, because... Uh oh, which which general was it? And somebody somebody said something to him similar, somebody challenged him and said defend, and his first question was defend what? <laughs> because the nature of what you're defending or what you're rebuilding defines how you're gonna go about doing that. Yeah. yeah. And so that's that's why that was my goal in my application, or at least part of my goal. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Was to try and make it clear uh, for for the congregation and for the people there, what does it mean for us to rebuild? What are we rebuilding? Mm-hmm. What exactly is it that lies in ruins? Yeah. Um, now, in my mind, uh, to to kind of hark back to something you said, I think that the church in the West uh, is in somewhat of a of a spiritual ruin. Uh, so there's a lot of rebuilding that needs to happen there. But in order to to uh, make that clear, I decided to focus on the fact that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, they're not carnal, mm-hmm. but they are spiritual and pulling down strongholds. And again, when you're when you're looking at that passage in Ephesians, he says specifically, that we take down arguments yeah and we are bringing every thought captive mm-hmm. or, or into captivity to Christ and the what's important about this is like I said in the sermon the war that we fight or the 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 building project that we're involved with it's a truth war yeah it has truth at the roots yeah because again the whole conflict was started by somebody who slithered in and started telling lies and that was that was how sin gained its entrance into mankind and ever since then uh, the forces of darkness have been fighting with lies and uh, the kingdom of God has had to counter that with truth, with with the word, uh, principally. So that means that as we are as we are seeking to build the house of God, that is composed of what Peter calls living stones. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's people who get saved and they are added to the body of Christ. Uh, they are. They are brought into the body by the Holy Spirit, working through the proclamation of the gospel, the truth, um, and then def- that that I believe that also does involve defending the truth because, uh, well, in order to proclaim the truth faithfully, uh, in a hostile, adversarial world. Uh, defense is just going to be a fact of life it's like Mm -hmm. fighting is going to be a fact of being in a world at war yeah that's it's the nature of the beast you can't get around it no no and it's Matt that that is we're going to have that until until the new heavens and the new earth until everything is restored and all the evil is purged from the world when finally can you imagine this finally nobody's going to be telling any lies that's gonna be so nice, won't it? Though <laughs> <laughs> you're not
0: gonna to have to question any. Well, you're not gonna to have to question anybody's motive or None. like
1: try to figure it out. Everybody's just gonna be Everybody, telling the truth. Yep, everybody's gonna be clean. Everybody's heart's gonna be clean. We're not even gonna to have to question our own motives. Yeah, that's. I'm waiting for the day when God can look to, can look at me and say, "You can do as you like." And that's not going to be a problem, because mm-hmm. my heart and my motives will have been so cleansed of all impurities that mm-hmm. my desires and my wants will be completely in harmony with His.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I pulled up um, on on my computer one of uh, one of the passages. I think you may have. I don't have the list of of passages that you refer to. I don't have my notes uh,
1: here with me either.
0: That's that's all right. Um, But 2 Corinthians 10.5 is, Mm -hmm. we are destroying arguments and all arrogance. This is coming from the New American Standard Bible. We are destroying all arguments and arrogance raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Um, And destroying arguments and arrogance that's defending your faith mm-hmm. that is what peter called in first uh, peter three fifteen, yep. apologia or apologia how, the greek's not my thing um so mis- forgive me for my mispronunciations quite all right um <clears throat> so it's it's those type of things that we need to be cognizant of mm-hmm. um and It's, you know, I brought up annihilationism and it kind of goes right, goes kind of right with being able to defend your faith. Like Mm -hmm. if somebody says, like if, um, yeah, if if somebody says, hey, all of the souls that are not in the book of life are going to be annihilated and you have no response for that, uh, there could be a lot of of, um, grief that comes along with that um, in terms of like a faith crisis almost uh, just because like it, it rocks your world a little bit. And, but if you don't mm-hmm. know how to work through and wade, wade through and weed out these different faulty thinkings, mm-hmm. then it's, it's, you're going to end up being swayed with, with the wind. Um, right. Or you're just going to crash and burn and, and, to use a modern a modern word, you're going to deconstruct. You're not going to be you're going to be deconstructing to a fault, where mm-hmm. you're you're deconstructing deconstructing to leave, not deconstructing to rebuild. Yeah. Um, but it's that rebuilding part. I think that which ends up tying tying into the whole Nehemiah thing. Like Jerusalem was in ruins. It was pretty it was. pretty it well was. deconstructed, um, and then Nehemiah is there to to go
1: rebuild everything. Mm-hmm. So. Um. I think in a situation like that, though, if that sort of deconstruction happens, um, it's certainly not because of a failure of the truth itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has a lot more to do with the way that that particular person approaches a situation like that, yeah. the way that they think about how to deal with it. Because mm-hmm. it, especially if they, if they think that they are responsible, they have to have all the answers to everything. Uh, nobody can do that a hundred percent of the time. nobody can. nobody's going to have no. all the answers every time mm-hmm. in every possible situation uh, and also um, I think if you if you don't already know enough to have a ready response, then uh, step number one if somebody expresses an opinion like that is to start asking questions mm-hmm. okay Why do you think that? Mm-hmm. Uh, what passages of Scripture are they using to bolster this particular perspective, or mm-hmm. are they even really supporting it with Scripture, or are they just uh, are they just constructing this out of some uh, Purely philosophical basis, and then going to scripture to find something that sounds remotely similar, and then using that as a proof text, mm-hmm. which uh, is what the Colossians were doing. Yep, and yeah, yep. A lot these a lot of these uh, these moments that can deconstruct people. It's because they're not taking the time to understand what the other side. Well, they're not taking the time to understand the other side, where mm-hmm. they're coming from, yep. what they're really doing. Because usually, yep. usually when you start actually digging into the details of what the other side believes, the holes begin to present themselves. Mm-hmm. And then it's not nearly as scary. Yeah, All of the, all of the fright of it comes from that lack of understanding, that lack of clarity. Mm-hmm. And so if, if your first response isn't nece- if you don't jump right to, I have to have an answer to this. Well, if you don't understand, the answer that you provide is probably going to come off sounding stupid and it won't be convincing anyway. Mm -hmm. If instead of jumping right to, I have to have an answer, first you say, I need to understand. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Because there's a very important difference between understanding something and agreeing with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really... You have to do the work to understand something properly and thoroughly before you even get to a point of deciding whether or not you agree with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's lots of people that I can disagree with, and I can say, I understand why they think the way they do. In other words, I can kind of see the logic of it, but then I still have to say, but I think they're wrong because of X, Y, Z. Yep. Yeah, and... That's also,
0: and I'm a really big proponent of this. Is that's also a form of ministry is to mm-hmm. understand someone because yeah. one of the things in order to make that person feel loved so that they continue to be transparent with where mm-hmm. they're with where they're at is to just listen. Yeah.
1: Well, it's it's also just a matter of intellectual honesty. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's one of one of my personal pet peeves. Is people who don't have any intellectual honesty? Uh, mm-hmm. And this is something this is something that I picked up from uh, Mortimer Adler, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which I hope you're enjoying his book by the way. I am. Thank you for the uh, recommendation. Yeah. Uh, but he had a real profound impact on me just because this was a subject that he talked about. and you know, what is necessary? What is required in order for you to even have a right to say either I agree? Or I disagree. There are certain things, there are certain steps that you have to take first in order to thoroughly understand Mm -hmm. what it is that you're going to make a judgment call about before you can actually make that judgment call. That is intellectual honesty. Mm -hmm. When somebody says, I agree or I disagree without really understanding the position, then they are, it's dishonest because they're essentially claiming that they do understand when they really don't Mm -hmm. yeah they're taking somebody's position as their own
0: and it's um it's a blind it's a blind type of Mm -hmm. of belief regardless of whether that is um faith faith based or not it could be economic it could be political it could be about your favorite sports team Mm -hmm. like it not having that intellectual honesty and go figure it out for yourself yep. is just blind. And Christianity has never been about just believing. It's always no. um, like I, I have on the background of my computer, um, the organization that I work with ratio Christi, is one of the, um, one of the banners that we have for like desktop backgrounds and stuff like that. It mm-hmm. says that knowledge is central to the Christian life and mm-hmm. i think that the second corinthians passage uh, uh chapter 10 verse 5 is a really good example of that like mm-hmm. arguments and thoughts those are all knowledge things yep and in order to know something to know that um jesus resurrected from the dead involves doing an investigation and really asking yourself do i believe this what does what does the evidence have to say? Um, biblical and extra or non-biblical mm-hmm. evidence have to say about this. And if all the evidence points in the direction of the resurrection, which it does, then why why not hold that?
1: Right, hold that belief. Right. And if 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 the Christian faith cannot stand up to scrutiny, then we shouldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if God is if he really is the spirit of truth, if he really does exist, if this world really is his world that he made and all of the all of the facts and all of the truths are his property, which they are, mm-hmm. then he's not afraid of anybody's questions. Yeah. And there are answers. There are some things we'll never really understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are answers to almost all of the questions that people might bring up. And a lot of these questions have already been hashed out. One of our problems is we're ignorant of history, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, uh, and, and and the
1: history of the defense of the faith. Mm-hmm. And I think, and that's one of the things I really enjoy about uh,
0: our brothers, brothers and sisters in the Eastern Orthodox Church, is they harp on church history, sure. and it's like, cool, thank you for pointing me in that direction. Mm-hmm. I had no idea, um, and that's that type of thing that we can we should be embracing. Yep. Is that correction yep. towards things?
1: Yeah, that's another important thing: is recognizing that there are people that we can have. Uh, very serious fundamental disagreements with, um, but we still need to be able to admit there are things we could possibly learn from them.
0: Oh yeah, yeah for sure. And that's again that's I was having a super long discussion today about mm. the Second Commandment, and there are <clears throat> things from the Roman Catholic Church. I don't think that it's a totally bunk organization and 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 church. There's flaws just like every organizational church has just Mm -hmm. like every church has um but one of the things that i really enjoy about how they work with the second commandment is just the reverence that they have for those that have come before them in the faith um Mm -hmm. in in the sense of they look to them for for guidance in and yes they they pray to them in in a a certain sense as as if i were to ask you to pray, yeah. to pray for me. They, they. That's what they mean by pray. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're looking. They look to them and their, they, their lives as, as guidance, like we would with Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a really cool, kind of tidbit that we can take from the Catholic Church and say, hey, that's cool. What does that look like in the Protestant sure. um, iteration of Christianity? Um, so, but yeah, um, total rabbit hole tangent
1: (laughs) well that's all right uh going back real quick to the issue of faith Mm -hmm. um i personally think that the dividing line between what we call faith and what we commonly call knowledge Mm -hmm. is very blurry actually i i would basically for my own part i would Mm -hmm. say that what we Commonly referred to as knowledge, really is just faith, mm-hmm. because yep. the vast, vast, vast majority of things that we claim to know are really things that we just believe for more or less valid reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything that you anything that you come to as a conclusion at the end of a series of logical steps is an article of faith. It's not something yes. that you know because mm-hmm. you're not in. You're not in immediate, infallible contact with the reality of that thing. But it's something that you believe for these reasons. And that's the way that the Bible does present faith. Uh, I think that the the view that faith is just sort of this ambiguous, nebulous thing that kind of has power in itself. So if you, if you just have faith, then it'll all turn out all right. The Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, Hebrews 11, which is one of the... the main passages where people kind of take that from, you know, the, uh, faith is the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things Mm -hmm. not seen. That word translated substance, I think would be better translated assurance. Mm. It's Mm. our confidence of things hoped for. Uh, Paul was very clear, very clear with the Corinthians that if their faith was, if their faith In Christ was not rooted in the fact the historical fact of his resurrection if Jesus did not in fact Rise from the dead their faith was worthless and it's not because the faith itself had failed But it's because their faith was placed in a savior who couldn't save In other words, your faith is only as good as as the God that you believe in Yeah because the faith itself doesn't have any power to do anything, really. It is the power of the God in whom we trust. hmm
0: Yeah. And that... Um, so I, I... I love the internet.
1: Because I can look things up while I you're talking. I have a really love-hate relationship with the internet. Just because... Yes. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> tremendous... It's tremendously convenient. But... Uh, two yes. pr- Two primary reasons... Uh, one, which is somewhat less important to me, it's becoming more and more a uh, a censored and controlled uh, outlet of information. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's going to become less reliable. Books are never going away, people, because uh, you can publish a lie for free online. But you know, if you're going to publish it in a book, you've got to you've got to commit some money to it at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more so than yeah. that, I just. I don't see how the internet has actually benefited mankind in the long run. Generally, it's made things a lot more convenient, but it, it has. Yeah, I think it's. I think it has uh, very much contributed to our our uh, moral and spiritual degradation and mm. rot.
0: Oh yeah, I'm definitely has majorly contributed to that. Um, but one of the cool parts and the redeeming qualities of the internet is probably, I think, my favorite um, website when I need to look something up Bible-related or, like, uh, scripture-related um, mm-hmm. Bible Hub. Just I like the layout of it, plus I like the color blue that they use. Um, <laughs> what I've is my favorite color? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I've always liked sky blue-looking colors. Um, but it's got it's got an interlinear format that i really like as well um and i i was looking up you know assurance and substance and, mm-hmm. and as a uh, it is in the original within um hebrews eleven one and it's just it's interesting cuz that is the exact word that we use for um the marriage between um christ the, the son in Jesus, the man, upostasis. Oh, right.
1: Yep. Upostasis. Uh, yeah. So the foundation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's the same word, mm-hmm. um, at least in the Greek. I don't know what it, what it translates, translates into Latin, but it's, that was, so that was kind of interesting to see that, mm-hmm. um, that spiritual and physical marriage between something that we call faith. Uh, but also, um, again, a loving, loving the internet and, To help with understanding what what belief and knowledge really is, Um, there's a guy named uh, Edmund Gettier, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, who was super famous for his Gettier cases, but also this thing called justified true belief. Um, So he's a philosopher, and um, the justified true belief is what that was his theory of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, which I thought was really cool because you brought up faith is just knowledge or -hmm. knowledge is just faith. And if that's the case, then I think Gettier has something going for him here.
1: He probably does.
0: In the sense of, Hey, like, are we justified in believing this? And because that belief then becomes what we know. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, which is all rooted in what you said earlier, truth. Yep. So, knowledge for some for something to be knowledge it has to be true like it can't be false at the same time um so it's it's those type of things that uh really intrigue me as as a as somebody who's uh in the church and living a a christian life it's like okay cool what is true Mm -hmm. because then that also helps us understand certain aspects of the Bible, um, in terms of what, okay, the Bible's true, but what makes it true? Um, is it rooted? Is it, obviously it's fr- it's from God. God is mm-hmm. the primary author who ends up working through all of these humans, but at the same time, is it rooted in something like that upostasis, to be kind of wed between the spiritual uh, th- within the knowledge of God and within the reality that we experience. Um I kind of word vomited there for a second mm-hmm. um as I was kind of working through these um but I I just wanted to p- pick your brain a little bit on just kind of going back to um understanding defending our faith and everything like that. There's a lot to it. There is. And As somebody who does apologetics, who defends Christianity um, as my main ministry, Mm -hmm. um, I get it. I have a master's in in apologetics, and I still don't know as much as I want to.
1: Sure. Um, Same here. There's so much to read and so little time. Yes. Um, What's going to be most helpful uh, going forward is... uh, as we seek to help other people who you know don't have master's degree in apologetics, uh, <laughs> we begin by by just kind of starting them off with these certain basic things, yeah like right? yeah. these these basic tools, these basic strategies and procedures you start here and you 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 become brilliant at the basics mm-hmm. and then you can start adding more as you go,
0: yeah, and I think that that's where the CCI classes really come into play. Mm -hmm. Um, So those of you that don't know, that are just kind of coming into this podcast, you found it randomly, and it was the most recent one, so you listened to it. Um, CCI is our City Church Institute, and it um, it is our... Learning platform here at City Church, and this is where we go through all of these things. Um, we go through the yeah.
1: basics of Christianity. And this one actually ran just a little longer than usual because Tyler and I uh, struck a vein that uh, we both of us kind of like. So yes, <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> definitely has got has gone longer, and I, I apologize for that, everybody. Um, so yes, we're we're at, at City Church. We are wanting our congregation our community to be rooted in the basics so then we have something to build upon Mm -hmm. and that basic thing starts with the gospel um but i don't want to hold you up i know you had a long day at work and um want to get home to the family so always a pleasure yes it this seems to be the the typical conversation running for a lot longer than expected (laughs) which is fine with me um But I want to remind you all that are listening to um, keep in mind that this is not a replacement for the Sunday Sermon. It's not a replacement for being involved in a local church. If you're not from Williamsport, just please get involved in a good local Mm -hmm. church. Um, And if you are within Williamsport and you're hearing this and you're not a part of a local church, we would love to have you come and visit us. Let us know where you heard about City Church so that we can... Um, best help you as well as get you plugged in to see where God can best use you so Joe um, thank you for unpacking this uh, next section of, of Nehemiah and we will see you all next week God bless